This is the podcast by Chicago in Arabic, featuring stories and ideas coming out of the Arab and Arab American communities in Chicago and around the nation. Coming to you from Chicago, these are your hosts, Malik Abdusamad and Anwar Gibran. Welcome to a new episode of our podcast. So we have a very exciting guest today. Our guest is Lina Sergi She is the CEO and co-founder of Karen Foundation. Lina, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you, and we're excited to hear about you and about Karen Foundation. So, Lina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Syrian-American. I was born in Brooklyn, and when I was 12 years old, my father decided to move. When I was 12 years old, my father decided to move to back to Syria, to Aleppo, where um, we are from. And so I went to school in Syria, and I went to university. I went to the University of Aleppo, and I studied architecture. And after I completed my degree, I came back to the United States and I went and I did a master's degree at Rhode Island School of Design, RISD and MIT. And um, yeah, and I met my <laughs> husband, um, Ala Attar, in Boston. He's originally from Chicago. Um, I met him in Boston. He went to Tufts Dental School. And so I married into Chicago and we've been living in the Chicago area um, since 2003. That's really awesome. How did you get to choose like Rhode Island School of Design or MIT? Well, it was really um, about, I wanted to go to a place that was the opposite of University of Aleppo. <laughs> 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 that um, kind of was the goal. RISD is actually a very liberal um, art school, and so I wanted to go somewhere that was very creative and see something different, and it actually was a culture shock to me to go to Rhode Island School of Design because everybody there had this freedom of thought um, that was very different from how I studied in University of Aleppo, which was really a great experience, but also very rigid in the education system. That's awesome. I actually went to Damascus University for architecture, so I totally understand yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> um, did you always want to come and like seek higher education in the U.S.? Yes, I wanted to. I always you know, thought of myself as being Syrian and American. So while I really loved living in Syria and loved living in Aleppo, I was also attached to the idea that I'm also American and I wanted to come back here. That's awesome. So, Lina, you started um, Karen Foundation in 2007, right? Yes. What, what inspired the idea behind Karam Foundation? So Karam means generosity in Arabic. And when we started Karam um, right here in downtown Chicago in my living room, um, it was really about the idea that our Arab American community here in Chicago, I felt, um, were not really attached to the idea of charity in an innovative and effective way. Um, you know, I feel like they, and this is a generalization, but I think that the, and this, and also, uh, you know, pre-Arab springtime, um, you know, the idea of charity for an Arab community is, you know, either you go Red Cross and UNICEF or we send money back home, you know, back home to wherever we're from and to our own small circles. Right. And at that time, there were a lot of innovative things happening. Microcredit loans were a big thing then, um, building schools for girls in Afghanistan, Pakistan. There was um, the Iraqi refugee crisis. And so we started, you know, started doing things even south side of Chicago um, just to basically have you know small events um, educate our community about charity and about giving in a different way um, raise some money and give that money out to a different organizations that we thought were doing an amazing job that's really awesome I mean 
when when you started it, did you think of it as a as an organization that you will dedicate your full time to, or was it just like a little idea that you wanted to kind of like run with and see how it goes? Yeah, this was something that was a couple hours a week. We were really dedicated to it and passionate about it, but we did not expect it to become you know, a career or a pathway. Things really changed in 2011 um, when the revolution began in Syria and quickly turned into a humanitarian crisis. Um, then it became, you know, it wasn't, a, it's, things got serious very fast in the in the way that it wasn't it was no longer about us having an event and raising funds for somebody else it was about us needing to respond to a crisis happening in our own homeland and that um, and in a way that we actually didn't know how to do <coughs> so for instance um, you know as Syrians you know right. that when it started you don't know where it's going and you don't know how to respond and so we didn't even we, it wasn't even a refugee crisis at the beginning it was more of how do we get humanitarian aid to people people needed medical aid, people needed water, people needed food. But with time, um, things changed a lot. And uh, the big shift that happened for us at Karam Foundation was um, in 2012, I visited my first IDP camp in internally displaced people. And I really saw for the first time people living in these plastic tents, um, you know, tens of thousands living in different camps. And in that, that's when we realized, you know, when I saw so many kids and I came back and I reported to our board, which still at the time was a volunteer board, um, saying that there is a, there is a crisis for these kids and in, our, in education because um, this is going to be a situation where we're going to lose a lot of the potential of our future generation. And so we began to focus on innovative education for Syrian refugee kids and displaced so your main focus today is education? Yes, most of our focus is education. We work, we still support schools inside Syria, as well as we have innovation centers um, in Turkey. One in Rayhanle, which is a town right on the, um, in southern Turkey on the Syrian border, and one in Istanbul. And we also have programs to support families, um, to send kids to university. And we also have a jumpstart program um, in the United States. That was, that's our program for Syrian refugee families here in the United States. We have it in Chicago, in Boston, in Michigan, in different areas where we actually support Syrian refugee families in jump-starting their lives um, when, they're, when they've come to America. And that focuses on long-term support of their, um, of their kids' education, as well as the parents being able to um, enter the workforce. So I bet you're relying heavily on the community's engagement and a lot of volunteers make that happen? Yes, a lot of volunteers um, and our funding is almost completely from individuals. So we have about, we have thousands of people who donate. Um, we have monthly donors and we have family foundations, but we don't have large grants. So as we've grown, we've grown through the generosity of many, many people from around the world. Um, and, and that's actually how we're able to do our work. Great job, Lina. Um, so uh, let's just uh, just go back uh, till when you started Karam. So the idea was is to uh, to laser focus uh, the Arab energy and power here in Chicago uh, towards doing uh, charitable work. Yes, absolutely. It was not about Syria at all. Mm -hmm. It was a much broader concept about giving. Exactly. 
and um, and then it changed. Mm -hmm, of course. Yes, and so our idea was that we need to be giving people what they need, mm -hmm. um, not what we think that they need, mm -hmm. and that's a really important concept for Karam. Yeah. Before Karam, uh, what did you used to do? So before Karam, I. You know, I finished architecture school, and that's, I mean, I studied architecture for 10 years, right. and I did not practice architecture except for very brief periods and brief periods of teaching. Uh -huh. And so, you know, I have an Arab mom who yeah. says, <laughs> you studied 10 years and you didn't build a building. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's the reality. You know, after all of that, I didn't practice architecture in the traditional way. Mm -hmm. And I had um, two young daughters when we started Kerem. So, actually, one, Rayan, my youngest daughter, was born right after we started Kerem. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. you know, I was spending those early years, you know, raising them. And then after 2011, as you know, from 2011 to 2015, 2015 is when we first actually started hiring people to work for Kedem. Uh -huh. okay, and so, but, but from 2011, it really became my full-time mm -hmm. life, even more than full-time, because mm -hmm. we were all in, in trying to help people. And so I, even then, I didn't realize that long-term, this was going to be my job. Um, but then it, with time, we realized this is actually a long-term um, issue and now it is my full-time job my full-time life mm -hmm. that's really inspiring I mean so you spent eight years working on the organization without having not one employee just completely volunteer based yes wow that's Which really amazing. That must be a really <laughs> good challenge I mean how did you like did you feel that people are excited to volunteer want to volunteer did you have a challenge recruiting yeah. volunteers or actually keeping them excited keeping them motivated to keep working on the case no, I think, I mean, really, it w we always had really amazing people giving so much of their time and energy to the organization, really starting with our board um, that were full time, they worked full time and had other lives, but really um, just putting in so much effort into making the organization strong. So many volunteers traveled with us to Turkey and gave um, innovative education workshops. Until now, we have a program where people come every summer, and we're talking journalists, writers, architects, artists, um, dentists, um, psychosocial workers. People give a lot of their time and energy to fundraise for us, to volunteer with us, and we couldn't do our work without that kind of energy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes an army of volunteers to run such a complex operation, I bet. I mean, just going back to organizationally how this works, I mean, you're running an NGO basically in the United States that helps in the Middle East. Yes. And given, like, the political environment and, you know, all the regulations in the U.S., you know, how, how is that as a challenge to, you know, to be able to function an NGO here and sending money and sending aid overseas, you know, bypassing all the regulations? <coughs> So, I mean, we've, we've definitely faced some challenges, um, but it actually hasn't been that difficult. You know, we're a 501c3 from the beginning, and so we are able to function um, pretty well within this. Uh, it's not without its challenges. The refugee crisis actually politically um, created a challenge for us because uh, people were very concerned about the crisis and there was a lot of misinformation and still is in the media, obviously, what we even see now, what's happening um, on our borders, is there is a misinformation about who are refugees and why do they want, why do they seek refuge? And so that was, we had a, a big portion of our work um, has been about creating awareness about the crisis uh, because 
uh, people, it comes a lot of people's ideas about what has happened in Syria, what has happened in the region, and what is happening now worldwide has to do with fear. And the current administration does not help this at all um, in the current climate. Um, and a lot of a big piece of our job, even when it's not about fundraising for Kerem or even about our programs, and not even sometimes about Syria, a lot of times our job is about telling people that refugees are actually people who are fleeing the terror that Americans and people outside the region are afraid of. And when people begin to understand that Syrian refugees have this history and they actually are, um, are looking to, for opportunities to build a better future for themselves and their families, then you find that people become very generous and it really only a lot takes more empathetic. yeah it really takes only about meeting meeting the refugees in right. your neighborhood meeting people going and and meeting them in person and then you see who they are and that's kind of the kind of work that actually creates resilience for not just the refugees but also the host communities as well I can totally see that I mean people have that perception of refugees mm -hmm. not being just like that normal person who just wants a job and a family and wants to be engaged with their community and you know not somebody who would want to like love to live in Chicago or in the US and it's just like a, a misperception as you said like connecting with these communities is you know I think the not the only but the most effective way to show the community that you know these are people that you should embrace and that will add a lot of value to our community and I mean and we live in one of the most diverse cities in, in the US which actually brings my next thought is you know like like I mean, you moved to Chicago and you started in Chicago, but do you think that being in a city as diverse and as big as Chicago adds a lot of value to your organization, or can you see yourself having started this like elsewhere? You know, Chicago has definitely been a big part of Kerem. Um, we actually, I th you know, our base are, uh, is really the Arab American <coughs> community in Chicago, so we couldn't have started without this base. And it does, Chicago is a great city that provides a lot of opportunity and a lot of diversity, as well as a lot of resources. Um, and especially now when we're seeing a lot of the, um, you know, startup community and the, and the tech community, which is actually really um, exciting for us because that's very close to the kind of work that we're actually doing um, in Turkey with the Syrian refugee kids. So starting any entity, uh, it's whether like a startup or an NGO requires a lot of effort, of course. Uh, what does it take to, to, to turn a, a great idea into a real uh, functioning entity? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think um, there's several you know, ingredients or elements to this. Uh, number one is your team. I mean, your team is your number one um, piece. Nobody can, ideas, uh, everybody can have a great idea, um, and everybody does have great ideas, but to actually build it, you actually have to have a team, and you have to have a group of people that are passionate about it and actually be able to find um, the different kinds of um, expertise that you need to build your idea. And so your team is really your uh, foundation for anything. Um, another piece that you always need is to be flexible. I think one of the greatest um, parts of Kerem's success is that we went into something knowing that we don't know how to do humanitarian aid in a crisis zone or a conflict zone um, ourselves, so we had to learn. And we also had to, we had to see what was happening around us, for instance, in the aid world, and the things that we, we saw actually were very shocking to us. And so, you know, from 2007 to 2011, we were doing stuff, but we were kind of on the outside. Mm -hmm. And But when you actually are in it and you see how agencies, um, you know, develop and create 
create, you know, how the, 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 the aid, it's a really an industry where, you know, c building refugee camps um, and, and really this idea of, oh, like refugees just can get a little bit, they, like I, I say, like, you know, spreading crumbs over many or let's give everybody a food basket. We know Syrians know this idea is that, you know, everybody needs food when in reality, when you really look at the crisis, Syrians are, were never dying of hunger and the instances that they were actually dying of hunger when they were under siege were in areas where no agency could actually enter. So this whole thing is that what do, to, to be able to step back and say, what do people actually need was a very fundamental thing to cut so we asked people that, and I can tell you, so many Syrians um, that we spoke to inside Syria, um, refugee communities, when we would ask, what do you need, they would be in shock because they would say, nobody ever asked us that. Oh, wow. So starting from that point of what do you need, in addition to what I can give as you know my expertise, my creativity, what I learned, what my other um, people on my team can give, combining the community with what our knowledge, we call it co-authoring a solution, mm -hmm. that's how you create the solutions that can last in a community. Because so you can go into a community and for instance, build a school or build something and say, this is what you guys need. But if the community doesn't embrace it, it won't grow, it, people won't attend right. it, people won't you know, take it over and, and own it because that's what you also want refugees to Absolutely. have, ownership over the concepts and the ideas. So being flexible, being able to change, to change your mind. We did things, for instance, that didn't work as well. We thought they were gonna be really good and they didn't work, so you just cancel that from your program, it's okay. And then the things that you know tr you try out and you test and they actually really, really work, you do more of that. So it's constantly, like it's very, in I think that in order to succeed, you have to be able to rely on your intuition and your learning and, your al and understanding that you're always learning. So five years from now, we probably will be doing things that I don't even know now that we will be doing. Right. Um, but that's okay because, you know, ref the refugee crisis itself is shifting, you know. So right, right now we're working mostly with kids and we're focusing a lot on teenagers ages 14 to 18 at our Kerem houses. But um, we already are planning something that we haven't done yet, which is what happens after kids are 18. And so these young adults, and we want to focus on entrepreneurship. So, you know, 18 to 25 year olds, how do we create these incubators and, and, and spaces for refugees to actually, you know, be able to start their own businesses and do all of these things that are now very commonplace here in America, but are not common um, to be offered to refugees. Which is the Karam house that you guys started in yeah. Turkey, right? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, so yes, we started Kerem House in 2016 in Reyhanle, the first one, and we built our second one in 2018. So another thing is scaling. <laughs> so you know, when people used to ask me about how do you scale in 2003, I'm like, I don't even know what that means except <laughs> in the architectural terms. Right. Like, what does this even mean? But scaling is very important. I mean, you have to have a model, and that's another thing, having a plan. Um, we were in crisis mode for so long. So if somebody asked me, what, some people used to ask, what is your three-year plan? Th it would be impossible for me to say, because I wouldn't even know what our six-month plan was. Right. But now we actually, with time, you actually are, you're when you focus, you're able to actually make a plan. And so Kerem House was born out of all of these innovative education missions that we did. And we realized we needed to have a space where we could deliver these kinds of workshops year-round um, to kids. And we decided to focus on um, 14 to 18 year olds, boys and girls. We are, it's about 50-50 across our programs. And all, everybody that we hired, so right now we have 57 employees for oh Kerem wow. Foundation. All um, based in Turkey. 
Um, nine of them based in the U.S. and the rest are in Turkey. Wow. And all of them except for a couple are all Syrian refugees. So we hire architects, engineers, teachers, um, language teachers, um, you know, all different kinds of people who are also, you know, late 20s, early 30s, have families, and we want to, we're hiring them and training them to give these programs, but it ends up being the community serving the community. Right. And at Kerem House, it's really cool because the kids have access to um, Wi-Fi, computers, they have maker spaces, laser cutters, 3D printers, and they have a design-based curriculum where they come and they do studio workshops where they have to design a, a solution to a problem. For instance, they designed a prosthetic limbs, they designed playgrounds, um, they're working on a mural right now, um, they're doing all different robot robotics, coding, and so every time they have a project, they have to work in a team, mm -hmm. they have to do research, they have to draw, they have to t transfer their, dra their drawings to 3D um, design programs on the computers, they have to fabricate, they have to make models, they have to present their idea um, visually, in photography, in, in, in video form, orally, and so doing this process over and over again actually creates these soft skills of working in a team, creating a portfolio, doing a presentation, thinking of ideas, building your idea, and that's kind of the process that we actually learn in architecture school right. that will, ac will make you be able to have these skills, which is really learning how to think. And uh, having that confidence that I have an idea, I'm not just a refugee, I have, some, I have something to contribute in the world, and I actually can build it. And that's the first thing that we're seeing, that's, uh, it's a complete transformation for the kids um, that we see, um, where they're able to actually express themselves in this way, and they have such a huge belief in themselves, and it's really incredible. I call it the brain is being rewired, which is what happened to me at RISD. I felt my brain was rewired, but now what's really cool is that we're doing that for kids that are really from the most vulnerable and impoverished communities, um, where they're have they don't even know they're having what their ha what their access is to is really something that they that only people in really privileged and elite institutions have. Mm -hmm. um, something that I had because I was lucky enough to come back to America. They're having it, um, and it's just as if that's the norm, which is really beautiful. And so the kids are, um, you know, there's a girl I met last month in Karam House Rehande. Her name is Batul, and she's 15 years old. And I asked her, what does she want to be? And she said she wants to be an artificial intelligence engineer. Oh, wow. I was in shock. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> I was like, how do you even know these words? And then I asked her, what do, how do you describe Karam House to somebody who doesn't know it? And she said, it's very easy. Karam House is all of our, all of our dreams in one place. Wow. And so that's really what it's about. And this thing is called brain plasticity. It's something that, it's, it's the mindset, um, growth mindset. It's about you can change your mind, you can change your brain. And what we're seeing in doing that with these kids is that we can actually create a future of leaders, of thinkers and creators who can make a better world. There's the saying, the best investment is in education. Absolutely, and I mean, another thing that I really love about this idea is there's always that debate when you're dealing with a crisis, such as a Syrian crisis. There's always this debate of, do I have to deal, or is it my priority to deal with the immediate needs of people, which is food, water, shelter, this and that? Or is it worth investment to do like long-term needs, which is like education, um, and you know, like doing innovation hubs, you know, investing in people's 
um, you know, abilities or in, in people's like, you know, whatever their hobbies or educational, this and that. And that's always a debate. Is that something that you deal with when you deal with um, distribution of resources, basically? Right, distribution of resources. But I mean, like when you raise money, do people always say, oh, we'd rather put our resources behind immediate needs versus long-term needs? Yeah, I, I think that's very valid. I think we still face that. You know, there are people who really believe in the idea that we want to feed people. Or, and that's very important. I mean, we still do aid. Um, it's not. It's much less <coughs> than what we used to do. But you know, there is. There are. W when that is the need, it's very, very important. It's very critical. Um, and especially at the beginning of the crisis, this was a much bigger um, issue. The problem we have with the Syrian crisis is that it's still one of the largest in the world, and the need is in the millions of people. Mm -hmm. Literally, like there are over five million Syrian refugees. Well over. There's probably six by now. Uh, most of them are in Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. There's a million refugees in, in Europe. Um, we have over six million people inside Syria that are internally displaced. So that's a lot of people. And so the work that we're doing, the, the other side of it is that it's deep impact, smaller scale. I mean, this model doesn't work to have it for, you know, 100,000 people. It would, right. but you'd need the resources of a much, much larger organization. Um, and, I, and, and we do dream that we would like to have that kind of impact, but we also understand that when we're able to impact the few thousand um, in this way, like getting a kid to be a leader, which means we have them to go get through higher education and or have the jobs, uh, job skills to have a really good job, like that's what we, we, we don't think a refugee, you know, they say, um, sometimes people say, oh, the girls can be hairdressers and the boys can do this manual labor and that's just good enough. We don't have that mindset. Right. It's about having the skills to do a really good job that, and what that trick, the, the ripple effect is going to happen is that the these kids, effect, yeah. the snowball effect is going to happen is that these kids are going to have families and these families are going to be in communities and they're going to be able to continue to invest and investment right. is actually the right word for this. It's not aid, it's investment. Exactly. And that's going to create the change that we actually really need to see, especially for our country but also just in a larger context of displaced people and, ma and marginalized people. This model will work really for anybody, um, that, that for marginalized communities, even here in Chicago it would work, and mm -hmm. it's needed, because that's what will create real change. Food and water and shelter is extremely important, but at the end of the day, it's not gonna create that real system change. Absolutely, and you said, you said something about, you know, some of the problems need a much larger organization to deal with because they're like massive scale. Did you ever seek partnership with larger organizations to use some of their resources so you can tackle a little bit bigger problems than what you guys have the capacity to tackle today? Yeah, we've done we've done that sometimes to a, a small extent. Like we've done partnerships, um, and we've done we've done a lot of um, resource sharing. You have to be smart about that. That's one of the things, um, Anwar, that you're talking about earlier. Partnering, uh, you can't do this alone. Also, understanding what you can do and what other people are really good at doing. Reinventing the wheel is definitely something you don't want to do. So, for instance, our curriculum is a great example. We work um, with partnership with Nubu Studio, which is 
is um, an innovation school in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Saeed Arida, who's also Syrian, um, he was my classmate at MIT, and he he's an architect, but he continued mm -hmm. doing his PhD specifically on innovative education. And so we were always seeing what um, Said was doing, Said was seeing what we're doing, and when the time was right, we came together and we co-develop and um, and transform the curriculum that is really created for American high school kids mm -hmm. to be able to be given to refugee kids and in Arabic. Um, and so that is like a huge piece that um, that we didn't, you know, we knew what we wanted to give, but it's like it's much smarter to work with people who are actually doing it and yep. have tested it than to actually reinvent it ourselves. Amazing, Lena. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, what's next for for Lena, and what's next for for Karam? Um, what's next for Lena? I <laughs> definitely you on the spot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, we are in. We're always thinking about where we're where we're going to grow. Um, Yusuf, who is also a 15-year-old Syrian refugee boy. Um, he is our big inspiration. He was at he was in Rayhande and he was attending Kerem House. And um, last year, his family moved to Istanbul, and he was very very sad, saying, I "I'm moving to Istanbul, and I can't go to Kerem House anymore." And we told him that we're actually opening an Istanbul, and so he was there from the opening day and there. And he says oh. there should be a Kerem House wherever there are Syrian <laughs> refugee kids. Nice. So the big goal is yes, we would like to build a Kerem House everywhere there are Syrian refugee kids and even beyond that so our sites are on um, Lebanon and Jordan as a possibility and we really would love to be able to deliver this to as many kids um, as possible and we want to be able to build 10,000 leaders and I would like to see one of these leaders actually running Karam Foundation in the future. Nice. This nice. is an amazing goal 10,000 leaders that's a huge impact I mean yeah. That's how you rebuild the country. I mean, it's not, I believe it's not brick and mortar. It's actually people who will rebuild the country and yeah. it's a huge so impact. So basically creating a nucleus uh, to build on it, right? Yes. Uh, so, so Lina, my, my final question is uh, your advice and your, for example, like a, like a quick uh, headlines or roadmap for, for somebody uh, who has a great idea, it's whether like helping people or, s or start uh, her or his own company, uh, what uh, your advice to them? My advice is definitely believe in yourself, believe in your ideas. Um, I think that a lot of times people have, um, especially when you're, I remember when I was, you know, in my early 20s and I didn't know what I wanted to do and, um, and you think that you have a great idea but then you don't have the right confidence in yourself. I think that it's, we're living in a really exciting time where you can find resources, you can find partners. Um, you, if you live in Chicago, they're like literally right here in the city. Um, find your group, find your tribe, um, connect with people. And if you have a job that you're working at and it's not what you wanna do in your life, you know, you don't have to quit your job but there's so many things that you can access um, platforms and networks of people to begin to work on this and develop your idea. It's really, we're living in a time where you can actually make something really incredible. And also to always remember, you know, if you, it, you can also, this doesn't have to be your career. Um, it could be something that you just do, uh, but making sure that whatever you're doing, it has the social good 
peace, social impact is really a responsible, there's a responsibility for everybody. We don't have a choice but to choose something that you're passionate about, whether it's the environment, whether it's the community, it's um, refugees, it's displaced people, immigration, you know, the, the list is really long in what is not working in our world right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's everybody's responsibility. Choose what you're passionate about, um, find a group of people that are also passionate about it and, and see how you can, you have to jump in and start helping. That's amazing, Lena. We really thank you very much for being with us. Really inspired by the story. Looking forward to seeing Karen being an amazing organization even more than it is today. And we're looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. It was such a great uh, time <laughs> to be with you. Thank you so much, Lena. Appreciate it.